Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at if you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 33. You're just told, like, do what you're supposed to do and you'll be happy. And that's like the best life. And there's just something inside me that's like, but it's not working. Alicia Johnson was a pastor in a Seventh-day Adventist church until she announced via viral video that she is bisexual and fully inclusive and affirming of LGBT sexuality and gender. Uh, that kind of sparked a media storm, and her story was picked up by NBC, LGBT Nation, Autostraddle, and Religion News. Uh, and now she speaks and writes about her story, uh, her queer insights on faith, and the intersection of Christianity and sexuality. Alicia has her Master's of Divinity from Andrews University and a Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology from Argosy University. Uh, before we get into my conversation with Alicia, I wanted to share with you all about a new resource uh, from the folks up at Generous Space Ministries in Canada. Uh, they just released this last week a new film called Belonging in the Body, Transgender Journeys of Faith. Uh, it, it features the stories and wisdom of 11 transgender folks, uh, transgender Christians, and uh, it's an incredible resource for both trans and cis folks. Uh, so if you want to go check it out, it's available via donation uh, by heading over to their website, generousspace.ca, because they're Canadian, slash shop, generousspace.ca slash shop. Uh, share it with your churches, your friends. Uh, it, it really will help change hearts. I, I watched it this last week. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. So I'm talking with Alicia today about her journey of reconciling her faith with her sexuality uh, as a pastor, and then what it was like to come out. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive in. Alicia, hi. Hi. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. Yeah? Got my coffee. Yes, good. Enjoying a beautiful day in Arizona. Ah, that sounds lovely. I like just got out of bed. I haven't even made coffee yet and haven't looked outside. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're much further along in your day than I am. So <laughs> Yeah, I, need, I needed the coffee. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
so to start, uh, the question I start every episode with, uh, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Yeah, I identify as um, bisexual Christian um, from the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. And like so many of your guests, it's a really complex question, um, you know, that's had different impacts to different places in my life. And at first, for the major part of my life, my faith caused me to totally ignore my sexual identity, not even think about it. Um, just assume I must be, you know, I must be straight. Like that's the only option. Good Christian Adventist girl. Um, and I think, you know, when it became apparent that I had attraction to women as well as men, it was kind of, um, you know, I think what a lot of conservative Christians experience, which is one part of yourself has to go in the closet, either the faith or the sexuality until you can figure out how to reconcile the two. So when I finally got to that tipping point, like where it had to be reconciled, um, or I had to figure things out, and I just kind of went through this just really period of reflection and study and prayer, um, I would say that my sexuality at that point, in many ways, like redeemed my faith, because it helped me, it helped me to come to a understanding of faith it helped my faith to grow in a way that it really really needed to grow and I'm not, I'm not even just talking about like LGBT affirmation or inclusion but in a lot of different ways it helped me to see the gospel and Christ and faith in a new way um, but then I'd be I would be dishonest if I didn't also say that this this kind of I mean I feel sometimes like I'm in the middle of like a battle or a fight over this issue and sometimes that makes me want to walk away from faith entirely and be like, you know, why does religion cause people to do such horrible things? And um, so, yes, I mean, sometimes it tempts me or makes me want to um, throw in the towel as well. But I don't think I'm ultimately going to do that. So, yeah, I, I think that's such a like a, a, a normal struggle like yeah <laughs> i feel like because <clears throat> i know that happens to me all the time where i'm like what like why what, why do i put up with this this faith and, oh and yet gosh, there's something yeah. about it that is so such a part of my life too and and i can't get away from it like mm. yeah 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 so there's that positive side right like how could i ever walk away from centering my life around jesus and then there's that negative side of how am i gonna let them win <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, I think about, I, I really think a lot about queer kids who are growing up in these homes and the suicide rates and the things that they experience. And the truth is, if I walk away from religion, if I walk away from this conversation, religion in this conversation isn't just going to magically poof disappear. It's going to keep going, but it's going to keep going without the benefit of the voice of, you know, LGBT people like myself and you. And I just, I don't, I don't want that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I think we, we're in a place where we can see the damage and the harm um, in ways that people who haven't had our life experiences can't um, or yes. just, or just throw away. Um, and yes, I, I think about that too often, like the kids, <laughs> the people yeah. who are in those spots in, mm -hmm. like, I know where I was in high school and like how 
devastating and difficult life was. Like, things need to change. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of made it, I think, a fundamental shift for me, too. Like, um, because of the work I've done, I've gotten a lot of people's stories. And just tragedy after tragedy, people reaching out, sometimes kids reaching out. And it's just... It, yeah, you know, you hear enough of those stories and you you see what's happening, not only in your own life, but other people's lives. And it just, it fundamentally shifts the way you look at this issue in a way that I never experienced before coming out. Because when you're in these environments, you just don't, your life doesn't intersect with the lives of LGBT people, um, especially like LGBT people who have reconciled their faith, right? So, um, yeah, so it's makes a difference. It's, it's been a fundamental shift in, in my life and the way I think about these things. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you you came out in a in a church that is, I mean, I, I think we often think of our, like, our church denominations as kind of being, like, very tight-knit families, but, like, the Adventist church is very tight-knit, and yeah. you came out in a very public way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine that that caused ripples or even waves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was that experience like for you coming out so publicly? <laughs> like- <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, how do I even describe it? Um, you know, it was it was something that. I never questioned, never had a moment of like doubt or like buyer's remorse about. And so that was huge. Like it was the right thing for me to do. And um, for a lot of people it isn't, but um, it, it was just like, especially those first few weeks, an overwhelming experience. Um, you know, it's, it would be like, you know, if you're out in the ocean and you're trying to like jump from one boat to another and you're not sure if you're going to land, but you've already like left the security of the place you were in. And you're just kind of like, you know, I don't know what this new world is going to be like. Like the bridge is burning behind me to mix my metaphors. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's just, um, yeah, it was, it was like very, incredibly decentering and disconnecting and just just feeling like you know everything that had been solid ground to me was just gone and just not knowing how things were going to shake out where where I was going to land just watching people struggle people who I'd known and cared about watching people kind of struggle with the reality of my sexual identity that they sometimes didn't even have a clue about um watching them struggle with that and not know what to do about that. And, you know, I, kn- I know I caused a lot of people pain. Like it was probably pain they needed to experience. And yet people who loved me, cared about me, supported me, believed in me, you know, I had to cause those people pain and sever those relationships. And um, at the same time, like it did so much good, like this just massive amount of good for so many people. And it was incredibly like, necessary and good and important and while I was experiencing all that like at the same time like for the first time in my life I'm like in a period of hours I went from being out to just very very few people to being out to everyone I know 
And not only that, but like everyone I probably would have conceivably met within the Adventist church, you know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, like, like people who I knew through a friend, through a friend, like, like, like the extended circle, like all of a sudden, like I'm just, just out in this crazy way, just, just in a matter of hours. And, um, it was so liberating. Like I was so ready for that. I was like, after, you know, after all these years, like here I am. And, and there was just this like underlying, just like joy and strength that came from that, that kind of got me through all the rest. Um, I mean, I like to call it the rainbow face, <laughs> you know, like when you're just out and just everything just seems amazing. And, um, just, I mean, it was really incredible to be able to say out loud, like who, who I am. And, um, yeah, that really carried me through, but it was, it was really intense in every way, intensely good, intensely hard. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, but well worth it. Well worth it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you were a pastor, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And and you kind of you stepped away from that position in this process as well. Was that is that right? Am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're exactly right. Yeah, I. Um, the Adventist Church has a really strong education system, and I'd been up through the education system: elementary school, high school. Um, I did go to a graduate program that wasn't Adventist, but then I went, yeah, I went to college at an Adventist college. I went to the seminary at the Adventist seminary. I, I mean, it was so much my life going to Bible studies, going to churches, and then I became a pastor, which is not easy to do when you're a woman. Um, you know, in some denominations, it's not even a possibility. So I was grateful for that. But um, you know, it wasn't easy to do. It was hard and it was scary to even become a pastor and then it was really hard to walk away from that um to tell you that great church good good situation yeah so yeah so like what a shift (laughs) from like (laughs) life before and life after like (laughs) such a major major shift there yeah i you know at the time when I was, you know, going through the process of accepting my sexuality, reconciling my faith, um, getting ready to come out, coming out, you know, learning about learning, reading, eventually going to PFLAG and getting connected with Kinship International, the Adventist support group and other people. And it was like gradually kind of going through all this process. It felt like a snail's pace. It felt so slow. But then like, as I got to know more people in the LGBT community, I realized like, I did this really fast, (laughs) (laughs) like really fast. I was like, tapping my fingers but really you know it was like august when i came to like really affirm myself after you know some intensive study and i came out the following march you know it's it was kind of (laughs) crazy yeah tell me about that process of like what that that reconciliation process looked like for you because that's something that i feel like so many of us have gone through but i don't think i've ever really talked with anyone on this podcast about that actual process of reconciling their faith and their sexuality Mm -hmm. through whatever they did to do that but so i'd love to hear about that yeah so for me the there was um kind of cognitive dissonance that was always there 
of, um, you know, I'm in the church, I'm involved in the church, I know I'm attracted to women, but, like, I kind of, like, learned to, like, manage it, ignore it, tamp it down, whatever, you know, it wasn't, like, this overwhelming thing in my life, um, though I didn't realize at the time, and I realize now, like, I did have this kind of underlying depression as a result of all this, um, which is gone now, which is awesome, <laughs> but, um, so, so I was, I was there, but there's this cognitive dissonance. Like it didn't seem quite right. Like the gospel is supposed to be, you know, Jesus said, I haven't just, just come to give you life, but to give you life abundant. And, um, you know, all these, these promises of peace, joy, love, hope, and everything is supposed to be centered around love. And I think we've almost wrecked that word with how carelessly we've used it. But like, First Corinthians 13 kind of love, you know, like real deep love, commitment, care, concern for the other person. And it just, I was aware of the statistics. I was aware of suicide rates and depression. And it just didn't, there was something that didn't sit right with me in the idea that a religion centered around love would say, like, this love isn't okay. Like this self-sacrificial fidelity, though it lasts a lifetime, though it involves wedding vows, it's still not okay with us. Like even though it's between adults, like, uh, you know, like it's love. Like why is it not love? And one of the things that I really had a hard time with is like I don't think that God's law is arbitrary. You know, it's not like I'm just going to like make these rules and – I think that God's law is truly rooted and founded in love. I mean, Jesus said as much himself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and your neighbor as yourself on this hangs all the law and the prophets. So all the law is rooted in love and it, it just didn't really make sense to me. And I would see people trying, and I think this is actually one of the most destructive things that conservative theology does is trying to find a way to make it so that, love between two people of the same gender is actually not love at all and trying to pathologize it and trying to say like, actually you're just loving yourself because it's just someone who's like you. And, and so it's really selfishness and self love, which is the most foolish thing I've ever heard, you know, like anyways. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's like, because, because you're anatomically like similar, it must be loving yourself. Like, I mean, by that logic, if you kiss if you kiss someone who also has lips, you're kissing yourself. Like it's just, it's crazy. It's it's just crazy, abstract, weird stuff. Like it's weird. But I mean, I've heard people say stuff like that, and people be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." You know, it's just, I don't know. It's it's something about that environment that just. Um, yeah, so I was living with this kind of dissonance, and then, um, but I was kind of just, I don't know, living with it. And then the shooting in Orlando happened, and um, I couldn't live with it anymore. I was intensely aware um, of the suffering caused to LGBT people by Christianity, which has been the main influence in America for hate towards LGBT people. And I was just like, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I've thought and thought and thought about this. And I think, 
I think my mind kind of shifted from like this being a peripheral issue, which I know sounds crazy when it was my own issue, but I think my, it it went from like this being almost like a peripheral issue because LGBT people, people are so erased in conservative churches that people aren't even aware of our existence on an emotional relational level for the most part. And it just feels like an issue. It doesn't feel like people who are suffering. And so I think I shifted from it being like kind of a peripheral issue to it being something that must be addressed, like a a very deeply human issue of pain and suffering that the kind of issue that you can't be Christian and just ignore. And so I think it, it shifted in my mind at that point. And at that point, I just said, there's an answer to this. Like, God is a God of love and mercy and grace and following, following God is affirming of love. It doesn't cause hate and it doesn't cause people to hate the parts of themselves that love, especially, right? And so there has to be a better way. This has to be good news for everybody. And I just kind of started really reading and studying in, in depth um, of the, the issue. And, you know, I read all the affirming books and those were helpful, but what was really helpful to me was to read the non-affirming books, you know, with a theological background and kind of being trained in these conservative ways of thinking and realize like there's little places that these leaps would be made. You know, none of these verses are about that are applied to us are about anything like remotely in the neighborhood of a committed relationship. You know, they're about um, they're about things like shrine prostitution, gang rape for political reasons, uh, Roman orgies, which were steeped in power dynamics and um, you know exploitation and just all kinds of things. Like that's what was being spoken about in these passages, and to then kind of ap- apply that to us. Like, there's a leap that's being made. And I began to ask myself, like, why are people willing to make that leap? Why does it seem like an okay thing for them to do to apply verses that are about these things to us? And then, like, I think one of the craziest things is, you know, Jesus is asked about divorce. And, um, you know, he says in the beginning, you know, God created man and woman. And kind of goes on to say, like, Basically, it's not really okay to get divorced for almost any reason. And so people then go and use that, even though they're permitting divorce, and say that he's talking about LGBT people because he says, you know, in the beginning, people were created man and woman, which, you know, they're ignoring the explicit topic that the passage is actually about. And then they're applying it to something that we have no reason to believe was even on Jesus's mind when he said that. You know, he was replying, we know what the context was, and that context gets ignored. It's, you know, the explicit meaning is ignored. It's it's things like that that I just, I don't know, I started to realize that, you know, people were really asking, like, is there a way that I cannot believe that same-sex relationships are okay? Instead of, is there a way that I can believe that they're okay? Because they were not and are not, like, close enough to LGBT people, especially LGBT Christians, to 
understand the issue really. Um, and you know, when you're at a conservative seminary like I was, usually when you talk about justice issues throughout history, um, like um, you know, slavery is obviously a big one. One of them, maybe they don't talk about it as much, but you know, formerly the idea of the divine right of kings, kings can do everything, anything they want because God has given them that authority. And that was something the church eventually moved past um, slavery, you know, women not being able to vote or not being able to, I don't know, like report when they're getting abused to the police, <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, things that the church has um, often stood in opposition to. And what seminaries often lift up as the solution to that problem is hermeneutics. You know, hermeneutics is the way that we study and interpret scripture. So the problem is the hermeneutics aren't right. The hermeneutics, you know, are, are bad. We need to fix the hermeneutic and it'll solve the problem. And so you go dive into this hermeneutics and understand like, and all this stuff. And eventually like I've started to realize like, like, wait a second, hermeneutics have not changed that dramatically. And there's plenty of people who hold to like really old school hermeneutics, plenty of them. And yet none of those people, despite the fact that they're using the same hermeneutic they were using 150, 200 years ago, none of those people are like sincerely struggling with whether scripture teaches that slavery is okay. But they were 150 years ago. Like the hermeneutics didn't actually change. And the, the problem with like my Confederate ancestors was not their hermeneutics. <laughs> like, they didn't fight this. It wasn't that the North had better hermeneutics than the South. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, like when you really step back and look at this, the problem is not, like, the hermeneutical lens that is being used. And the hermeneutics has never driven the change. You know, Martin Luther King didn't stand up one day and say, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to get a, like, I got a better hermeneutic and now, now we need civil rights. Like, no, it was, it was born from a relationship and a reality of the struggle and the people who were experiencing the struggle. And there's, there's one group that never gets talked about, you know, during the whole theological debate about slavery, there's one group of Christians that got it right every time in every way that understood that it was an issue of racism um, that understood that slavery was wrong all the time, and that's black Christians. But because of the racism, they were never heard and never listened to. Uh, and because the Confederates thought they were superior and, and had no respect for black people and no concern for their lives and no real love in their hearts for them, their theology never changed. It was never about, like, hermeneutics. And so... <sighs> Like one of my professors, and I, you know, I always have to make myself say this because I think it's important to say, but like this is an individual who is a, who's a loving, caring, humble person. And yet, you know, I need to kind of say the reality of, of the fact that like he wrote the book literally on Old Testament sexuality and is outspoken and speaking against LGBT people, um, and yet, he doesn't, I've taken a class from him, I've heard him speak on these things. Um, I know that he doesn't understand the first thing about human sexuality. He doesn't understand, like, he, 
he thinks of things in terms of the gay lifestyle of drugs and risky sexual behavior. Like that's his idea of what I know this because I've heard it from his mouth. Um, and it's, it's not because he's malicious or he chooses it. It's because he doesn't know any better and he doesn't know any better because the entire scholarly approach to biblical studies allows someone to literally write the book on Old Testament sexuality without ever getting to know and respect and care and learn about the people whose lives your theology is impacting. The hermeneutic doesn't require that. And I've read book after book after book of conservative theology and hermeneutics, and they always start with talking about, you know, really behind all this is the Holy Spirit, and we need we need to have the Holy Spirit involved in our process of understanding Scripture. And then they move on and never talk about it again for the rest of the book. Like, I, I mean, I remember, I remember being frustrated about this in college and thinking, well, if it's so important, why is it just like something you say at the beginning to get out of the way? And I've come to realize if we're truly going to bathe our hermeneutic and our theology in the Holy Spirit, then that's going to require love. Like it's going to require us to do the kinds of things that characterize God and the divine and the holy. It's going to require us to get close enough to people who are hurting to understand them and know them. And it's going to require like the word love. I mean, I've, I've come to have so much problem with the word love because of how it's been used against me over and over again since I came out, you know, like, how dare you say I don't love you? Like, how is how is that even a sentence that's okay to say? Like, I'm telling you that I'm hurting. And you're coming back being defensive about how much you love me. So like, seriously, uh, over and over again, it's just, it's, it's horrible. I'm like, I don't, it's like, you know, Princess Bride. I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. So, so let's put the word love aside for a second and let's instead use the word respect. Like I've started to realize that that's what I'm actually wanting from people. Enough respect for them to listen long enough to hear what my life and my experience is and what the life and experience of LGBT people are <clears throat> and what our viewpoints really are and what what we actually have considered and what we actually do know that maybe they need to learn. So I think that if someone is truly going to bathe their theology in the Holy Spirit, it's going to be necessary for them to get close enough to learn, um, to learn to have that kind of respect for the people who are impacted by their theology. And, you know, just like my Confederate ancestors were too racist, frankly, to get close to their slaves. Like there was no way, there was no, there was no way they were going to listen to the theology of black people because they were, they believed themselves to be so superior that they thought slavery was an institution that was helpful for them. And so, you know, very self-serving way of thinking. And so, you know, a painful realization for me since coming out is that the community that once loved me and cared for me, the community that, that once just helped me to, to thrive and believed in me, 
like now that I'm out as an LGBT person, like I'm part of the category and the group that they don't have enough respect to deeply listen to, that they don't have enough respect to even learn the most basic things about the language we use to describe ourselves or the basic things we have about human sexuality. They're constantly just trying to spin, constantly trying to spin. And I mean, when you, when you, some of the rhetoric around like transgender people, for example, that, you know, they're trying to erase gender and they're on some kind of a campaign to get rid of categories of male and female. That's not a view you can hold if you know trans people. It's just, you just, you just can't. It's, it's, it's impossible. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, so like, I know that they're, they're more trying to defend their theology because it, because it feels to them like an existential threat that if we would shift our theology on this, we would lose so many conservatives. We would lose so much of our tithe base. I mean, that's, that's in the back of people's minds somewhere. I, I know it is. I've been a conservative pastor. I know it was in the back of my mind. So, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that are front and center. And um, ultimately, if the Holy Spirit is to be involved in our theology, we've got to have that kind of love and respect for people. And if the church is going to stop getting these human rights issues wrong over and over and over again, as it has historically, like, there needs to be a fundamental change. Why do we keep using an approach to scripture? And why do we keep using this kind of ivory tower? We're going to be separate and not listen to the reality of what's happening in the world. Like why, why do we keep using this approach when again and again and again, it's caused the faith of Jesus to be on the wrong side of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it just, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, and you mentioned kind of like, I heard this thread of kind of like the Holy spirit throughout there. And, and I was thinking like, like the, the Holy spirit, I feel like often like works in the spaces of community. Like, I think I've said this before in the podcast, that's my view of, of pneumatology, if we want to call it that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. um, and if we're going to let the Holy spirit work, we have to be work, like in community with people who are different than us um, mm -hmm. and not just the same. Like, and if, and if we don't listen to those people, we don't listen to the people who are different than us, then the Holy spirit isn't working in right. community. Like, right. Right. And that comes back to the omnipresence of God, right? Like, do we think God is only where we are or do we really truly believe that God is everywhere? And if God is everywhere, we should be listening every to everyone everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and see, I remember the first, um, the, it was a GCN event that I went to that was uh, West coast connection. It's just kind of a small group on the West coast. And, um, you know, I drove out there not even knowing that I would know anybody and I ended up knowing a couple people, which was awesome. And so I drove out there and, um, I remember sitting there in, this tiny little room that was packed and um, someone was up front playing like, <laughs> forgive me for saying this, but kind of cheesy camp music, you know, uh, just like cheesy camp music. And it's like a room full of adults and everyone is like singing at the top of their lungs. Like people are crying. Like there's this passion for singing to God 
that, I mean, I'm sorry, I've been in a lot of rooms of like straight Christians and I've never heard this kind of passion for God. And it's just like, it's again, that's one of those moments that just you can't go back from when you feel the spirit moving and when you worship with a group of LGBT Christians and see the love for God that are in those spaces. And, you know, the Reformation Project was the same. It's just the, the love and the hunger for God that you see in those spaces. It, it's something that I guarantee my seminary professors have never experienced and something they would probably struggle with. <laughs> yes. Because like the 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 energy in those spaces, like I like that that made me flash back to the first time, and it was a GCN event, a GCN conference in Portland, like that I was in a room worshiping with queer Christians, and like the chills and the tears and like yeah. the overwhelming experience oh of just like being in that room. I sir, yeah, I mean, I, I just cried um, with everybody else, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And even it's if the like, music's cheesy, like it's it like... doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just inc- it's incredible. It's it's the work of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And and that's not to say like oh just throw theology out for the Holy Spirit. Like I hope you hear the rest of what I said. You know of the context of all these things. Um, and yeah, it just we get blinded. I've had so many people tell me how deceived I am. Like it's kind of like a favorite track for certain groups of people who talk to me. And, you know, it just makes me wonder like, why do they ever think, what if I'm the one who's deceived? Like, maybe I should try to figure it out and question. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like sitting here like, where do we go next? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Well, I'll just going to say this because I've been wanting to work it in somewhere. Like I listen to your podcast. Like I'm a big fan. I love queerology so much. So like being on queerology is super cool for me. (laughs) Oh, it's like awesome. But okay. I don't, I don't think I told you this, but when I was listening to the podcast, I was like, this, this, this Matthias guy, like, he's just so, like, warm and kind. I was like, is he this way in real life? Like, is this, like, a thing he does for the podcast because it's so perfect? Or, like, is he really genuinely, like, that, that like, awesome and enthusiastic and, like, smiley all the time? Because you can always hear the smile in your voice. Yeah. So I met you at the Reformation Project, and I was like, oh, he really is that guy. <laughs> Yeah, like wow. Uh, it's, it was very cool. Well, thank you. I'm like sitting here blushing. Like, kind. It's hard to take a compliment. I know it is. It's yes, it is. Like, ah, what do I say? Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, so you you talk about like. Um, you kind of mentioned like how you, you had realized that you had had kind of like a low key depression. And that made me wonder, like, how have you noticed your life like change for the better since coming out? Like what, (laughs) what have I, I mean, I'm sure it's probably like in every way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. All the ways. (sighs) Yeah. Um, I think 
for a lot of LGBT Christians, the experience of being in conservative churches feels a lot like gaslighting. Um, you know, that kind of idea where you're being told you don't feel what you feel and that like there's something weird or wrong or crazy about you. And so it's just like, I don't know. I just realized in so many little ways, a lot of them relating to my sexuality and you're just told like, do what you're supposed to do and you'll be happy. And that's like the best life. And there's just something inside me that's like, but it's not working. And then, well, you need to pray more and you need to study more. Like, I don't know, I just feel like there's something wrong with you if it's not working. And so many um, things I just knew intuitively that I tried to ignore. Um, the best analogy, especially for being like a pastor in a conservative church, the best analogy I've ever come up with for what it's like is uh, it's like being a press secretary. Like you're there with the president and in the cabinet, but you have zero say in any of the decisions. Your job is just to justify all the decisions, right? Like your job is to stand there in front of the press and make all this stuff sound good that you didn't necessarily come up with. And you're like trying to believe it. You're trying to think it's the right thing, but you're having to ignore intuitions that you have. You're having to ignore things in scripture that don't add up. You're having to ignore things you see that don't seem to be working. And it's just, it's a lot to carry around, you know? And so I think in many ways, the best thing is that I'm free to live an honest life. And to have that kind of freedom when you haven't had it before, or you haven't given it to yourself before, you know, I denied it myself. Nobody made me, um, it's just, it's like an endless source of joy. It's, <laughs> it's amazing, you know, about my sexuality, about anything. Um, it's, it's just wonderful to be able to kind of pursue God and faith and life in a way that's unfettered and free. And I love it. I'm like addicted to it, <laughs> to like being myself and genuine. Um, yeah. One of the things I've, I've talked about um, and I've spoken about a couple times and written about is um, thinking about coming out as a spiritual discipline. So we know as LGBT people how difficult it is to come out. And we know how hard it is to be honest about who we are. Uh, and it's not that we do it perfectly, but one of the things I think that our community understands very well is that there's a cost to authenticity, that it's something that's really difficult to do, and that it's complicated, and that it's hard. And one of the things that the Christian church needs, desperately, 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 and everybody knows it, is to be authentic, and to stop kind of with this facade of everyone pulling it together for you know, Sunday morning or Saturday morning, whatever your worship service is, just kind of pulling it together and looking, looking good um, <clears throat> and hiding so much of themselves. And, you know, there's parts of your life that are private. It's not to say that you don't share everything, but, uh, <laughs> but to, to not present yourself in a way that's not genuine. Um, 
is really difficult, costly things to do. And as I've been in communities of queer Christians, I realize like it's a community that's been judged so much that, I mean, not perfectly, there are unfortunately exceptions to this, but it's a community that's been judged so much that we don't want to judge other people. Uh, there's, there's more room and more margin for people to seek God in a genuine way and less fear that the thing we really need to do is make sure everyone kind of lines up on the right beliefs and behaviors. Uh, kind of st- not centering faith communities around that anymore, which um, <laughs> this might sound weird, but it was kind of a revelation to me to realize after all those years in a space where, you know, you have to believe all these things and do all these things or you're kind of on the outs. Um, it was really a revelation to me, <laughs> a very pleasant one to realize that if we stop like micromanaging people's beliefs and behaviors, like church still works. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. Like, it really does work mm. to just like talk about Jesus and like pursue love and the divine and, and goodness and holiness and justice. Like it works. <laughs> It was um, mm, mm. kind of a relief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- Gosh. Turns out we don't need to be micromanaging <laughs> each other's sexual behavior. Yeah. It's not a thing we need to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, Alicia, this has been such a pleasure. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you so well, much for this. And um, how can people connect with you um, if they want to? Sure. Um, pretty much three ways. I have um, my website, aliciajohnston.com. I blog there and you can contact me through that um, or get on my mailing list. Also, um, or if you want me to speak somewhere, you can request that as well. Um, I'm at Alicia Ann with an E, J, on Twitter. Yeah. And um, most, I use most probably Facebook. So you can connect with me there. Um, Yeah, just find me i don't know alicia johnston (laughs) awesome Ah, well thank you so much thank you so much for having me alicia's on twitter at alicia and j that's alicia and with an e j Uh, her blog is at aliciajohnston.com this is johnston with a t don't forget the t it sounds like johnson but there's a t johnston that was sufficiently clear uh, Quirology is on Twitter at Quirology Pod. We're also on Instagram at Quirology Pod. Uh, Quirology is produced with support from Natalie England and other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can get involved with supporting Quirology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com/support. A really easy way to do that is by leaving a review. Do that right in your podcast app, or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com/review, and it'll take you right there. As always, I love to hear from you. Reach out if you have ideas about who you want to hear here on the podcast or if you just want to say hi. Reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them
oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.